Welcome to the Bunkhouse Podcast, broadcasting from the confluence of outdoor recreation and nature connectivity. I'm your host, Josh Crumpton, founder of Spoke Hollow Outdoors and the Los Savaje Food Truck. My life as a rancher, guide, foodie, and conservationist has provided the opportunity to meet some really great people. And the Bunkhouse is where we get to introduce them to you. In this episode, I'm flying solo, hanging out in the bunkhouse with my good friend Ben Lisdes. Ben works for Swarovski Optic as the business development manager for North America. I've been honored to watch Ben walk the road from naturalist and birdwatcher to sporting conservationist. He may be one of the most intentional individuals I have ever met. So observing his approach to learning, hunting, and fishing has been a true pleasure. We discuss the importance of nature connection, bird watching, bird hunting, and outdoor adventure. The episode is short in length, but deep in thought. Hopefully, it will leave you with some things to ponder. With all that said, let's get this thing started. I don't know your official title. What is your official title? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to get a, your head wrapped around kind of all the different sort of things that I do. Uh, yeah. My official title would be business development manager for North America. Which really sounds a lot more boring than the job actually is. Yeah, your job is way more fun than that. Yeah, exactly. So, ben but is you the, know, developing business and the kind of business that we do is actually kind of fun, right? It's it's it's, it's fun business. Yeah. How long have you been with Swarovski? I've been with Swarovski for <clears throat> just four years, but that's kind of half the story. Really, I've been working in binoculars and optics, primarily in bird watching, since 1999. Oh, wow. So I've known Swarovski and had a relationship with them for 24 years now. Okay. So um, it's just now I'm finally like, they're the ones who are paying me directly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so instead of, I used to work in the retail end of, you know, selling optics to bird watchers. That's how I got into this whole thing. It's, you know, my background is in plants, restoration ecology, landscape architecture is kind of what my jam was in, in college. Wow. And, you know, you know it, it starts out with that, the same fundamental principles, right? The outdoors, nature, ecology, understanding how things work, the science of it all. So pivoting into a profession that was tangential to that, but that's still touching on all those points. It all revolves around a passion for nature and the outdoors, right? And when, as I was going through college, it was, there was no question that I was not going to be an accountant or an engineer. It was, you know, what can I, what kind of living can I do to be outside? So I thought, Oh, habitat restoration. Well, that's pretty cool. And yeah. well, you're outside a lot. Yeah. Which is, so I try fun. to be. <laughs> yeah. And you're very happy. So I think yeah. it shows that you're outside. a lot. I am. I am such a firm believer that being outdoors generates joy and is fundamentally good for people's well-being. And that is like a thread I've been pulling on lately to see you know, unraveling like, well, what is it with this? Whether it's the Japanese forest bathing or bird watching or hunting or just, you know, cancer patients spending time, you know, looking at trees, you know, looking at birds out a window and all of a sudden kind of having some perspective and being a little bit more present and, and kind of just realizing that we don't always control things or, you know, there's so many lessons that nature can teach us and being outdoors. And so there's this sort of maybe um, 
kind of uh, mental aspect, mental health aspect of spending time outdoors. And then they're finding more and more through the science. There's actually like real physical benefits to mm-hmm. breathing clean air and, you know, touching soil and doing some of those things. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. It's almost yeah. as if we evolved out of nature. Yeah. It's almost like we were made to be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost like, could you imagine that exactly. us being in the place that is, you know, where we're supposed to be is good for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I've always find it interesting how much up until this point, because I think that mankind is changing its tune for, fortunately for all of us, but so much of the agrarian and industrial revolutions were spent delaminating human humanity, mm-hmm. mankind from nature, dominating nature and separating this is a city and it has straight lines and mm-hmm. tall buildings and we put you know look at new york city we push nature into a into a box and we call it central park and that's where nature lives mm-hmm. and we have mastered it and controlled it and i think that that we're going through an awakening as a species where it's like wait a minute no no we need to be congruent with nature i hope so i hope so and i would push back a little bit on that and that i think I have a little bit of fear. Maybe this is why we're pivoting towards real nature right now, but I have a little bit of a fear that we are becoming better and better at creating digital environments that make us happy in all sorts of ways Mm -hmm. that we can manipulate and manifest and just sort of explore intellectually in a way that just separates us from the real deal. And one of the things for me about nature is I always try to keep it as analog as possible. I, my experience is out there, uh, you know, bird watching. It's really popular to use eBird, which is an app that you can use citizen science, you know, downloading I have to use you know, it because I don't know what I'm at. <laughs> Well, this is more of a like you, you list the birds that you see as you're going out and the numbers of them and you can submit bird lists, okay. et cetera. Um, I don't use it just because I, I not that I have a problem with it in and of itself, but for me personally, it really is. I, I like to be analog. Do you upload after the fact just for data no. collection for the, for the machine? I don't, I don't, yeah, I just, I just cool. keep it all personal. It's all, do you it's write all it for in me. a journal? Does it, do you sometimes, it I mean, I, I journal pretty regularly about sort of my day, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot, there's a lot about the birds that I've seen and the flowers that I'm seeing coming up. And they, you know, they were the other day I was out actually hunting at a friend's farm what am I doing out there? I'm listing like the first sandhill cranes of the year and the killdeer and the Eastern meadowlarks. And for the first time, you know, spring's just starting to pop in Wisconsin, you know, just like note little observations like that. The phenology, really the phenology is one of the things that I love about spending time outdoors, understanding the timestamp that happens as you observe nature and that you can witness and watch through these larger than life events. Like animal migration and the changing of how much sunlight you know you're getting in a, in a given day and all these things affect the plants and animals and it's a beautiful way of marking time i think that that's a big part of the joy that we get being in the outdoors is that phenology is yeah. getting us more connected to it to a different rhythm to mm-hmm. to the real rhythm because we <laughs> exactly <laughs> because we my google <laughs> calendar did not tell me the past flowers were supposed to be blooming today <laughs> <laughs> before we get uh, because i do want to talk about that because we had a cool conversation about that yesterday and mm-hmm. i want to get into sort of that uh, how that applies to my world and also talk a little bit about hunting but i do want to know you know i i couldn't agree with you more that 
there is a group, there is a large group of, of people who are moving more and more into digital space and that it is a real threat to the natural world and our connectivity to the natural world. And, but what I will say is there are also a lot of us who are moving in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And if the digital space, the people who are putting a precedence on living in the metaverse want to just go ahead and upload into the metaverse and jump on the spaceship and go to space and leave. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I do think that I watch with my kids you know, I think it's something mindful that we all need to be mindful. It, it, it's really interesting when we think of this concept of environment. We, you know, you can look at the evolution of we were sort of evolving as tribal nomadic people. And then next yeah. thing you know, we created an environment and structure that was physical, like this building. Mm-hmm. And we had all sorts of comfort. It changed the way that we interacted with the outdoors. And now we're creating digital environments where... You know, it it's it relieves you of a lot of the inconvenience of hopping in a vehicle or going for a long walk. There's a lot of yeah. comfort about being able to probably just jump into a digital environment. It can be manipulated. It's fantastic. I mean, as a kid, I would have mm-hmm. loved it. Mm-hmm. But we're just getting too. I, I fear that we're getting too good at it. Mm-hmm. There, it's too appealing in a lot of ways. Really, kind of makes me want to pull back a little bit. And th- and this yeah. might sound like the middle aged guy being like, "Get off my lawn," you know, or like mm-hmm. your rock and roll music is just a fad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to come across that way of like being anti digital or anti technology. But I just, you know, mm-hmm. I that just as as someone who studied like ecology and biology, you see the evolution, and you understand how we evolved in the landscape over thousands of years and you just can't turn your back on that over the course of 25 or 50 years. It's, you know, it's just, uh, you, you know, can, there's, there's, the there's, results a, there's a long will be, trail. The results, yeah. The results will be terrible. You yeah. can turn your back yeah. on it. It's just the results. It would be like the equivalent of, uh, me walking in the room and seeing my two year old with a jar of peanut butter and jelly and turning my back on that. And then coming back, it would be a, freaking disaster <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that makes any sense but but that is the result no so i couldn't agree with you more but but hopefully people you know get enough of the digi digi digiverse well and then the backlashes that they're out you the know, outdoors more josh but you and i have talked about this as well i think that those of us who work in the outdoor space or who have access to opportunities in this space it's important for us to tell stories about it, but ultimately the goal of inspiring people to be curious about it, to envision themselves spending more time out there and any way that we can kind of have this like role of a role model or a mentor or just someone who inspires others to just imagine how they could place themselves in the outdoors or how they could experience it in a way that is just as gratifying, if not more so than say a digital environment, for example. And, you know, as I'm understanding, as I'm kind of pursuing this, you know, greater understanding of why nature makes us happy. One of the things about being outdoors is that you are constantly experiencing these moments in real time that are happening that aren't going to happen again. It's not recorded. It's not planned. It's not manufactured, whether it's a Cooper's hawk coming down and, you know, grabbing a titmouse out of a bush or, you know, a cactus that's blooming that's opening up in the morning after, you know, a, a monsoon spring type event or any of those things. But I think as you spend time outside, your ability and as Swarovski optic, we always have this, this saying of like experiencing the preciousness of the moment, right? Just like really pausing to be present, not spending time 
thinking about your past, not anticipating the future. That's one of the things, and it's a very Zen Buddhist type thing, that being present. I think being outdoors in nature just facilitates that whole experience. You realize that these are unique moments that you're witnessing and not to be repeated. You're not going to be able to just plug it, you know, plug back, log, log back in and pick up where you left off. Mm-hmm. It happens when you're not there. Yeah, that's definitely true. You last year, not, not this past season, but the season before was your really your freshman year into hunting. Is that correct? Or was it the one right before that? Um, 20, <clears throat> 2022 season yeah the first the first time i'd ever gone hunting was with texas parks and wildlife foundation stewards of the wild went to a dove hunt which was for a bird watcher was definitely kind of a little bit of a pivot mm-hmm. and my intention was to really kind of understand the whole constituency of the Swarovski optic brand patrons if you will and i knew birders rather well but yeah i want to say it was like a year and a half ago it was yeah, probably it was, it was a year yeah it, yep and and really for me, the what inspired what would made that jump easier for me, you know, it wasn't purely just like a cold calculated, I just need to understand this from a business strategy perspective. Um, I love food. I'm an avid cook. I'm an avid gardener. <laughs> and so having a way where I could take an activity like hunting, I could spend time outdoors. You know, I, I've got I, as I'm learning more about hunting there's lots of different approaches to it right and i have my own philosophies right in terms of hunting i mean you know sustainable you know population dynamics and and what you know harvesting you know species where it's not going to create a burden on populations and whatnot it's 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 a way of hunting that's in harmony with nature yeah being able to do that where I can also have food come in and cause it's for me, it's, you know, the, the, the trophy is the smile that I get when I serve someone a plate of food that has, you know, yeah. venison and wild hog meatballs on it or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, yeah. that's, that's what, that's my trophy. So yeah, that is definitely it. Uh, we met at that dove hunt. Yep. I was very happy to have met you. I didn't know. I didn't know the friendship we would have in the ways we would run into each other. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> I was actually supposed to be your mentor, but I, couldn't make it there in time. And so you wound up with my partner in the food truck, Jesse, I think Mm -hmm. is a mentor, which is, that was a great experience. Yeah. Probably a better mentor than me, especially for, for cooking. We ran into each other multiple times and it kind of like serendipity sort of kept putting us into situations. It really did. (laughs) Yeah. And it was cool to be able to watch your freshman year in the hunting and fishing space, Mm -hmm. which we got to do together and the second year, we have not really hunted or fished together this year. I mean, we not ran yet. into each other in Colorado at live stream, but we really didn't get to fish together there. But you've now coming out of your sophomore year, mm-hmm. you know, of the hunting space. And I'm assuming you got out and did a little bit of it here and there this past still, year. I'm still a little bit of an awkward hunting teenager. But yeah, I went to deer camp up in northern Wisconsin this year with a good friend of mine. Just the two of us in this, you know, cabin six miles south of the southern shore of Lake Superior, mm-hmm. old, old cabin, you know, feet of snow, you know, doing some stalking, some tree stand sitting for deer. And I got my first, my first deer, I think day, day three in. That's cool. You know, it was great. Uh, did all the butchering right on spot. It was so cool to hang the deer and you need to skin it and, and you're just kind of working on the carcass as you're, and of course it's 
whenever it's 13 degrees outside, 15 degrees outside. So I'm not worried about any meat spoiling at all at this point. But once you get the skin off the carcass, my friend up there, he's feeds the birds regularly. So all of the nut hatches and the chickadees were coming in to pick off the little fat blobs off the deer carcass. And you could just see oh, pretty much the whole, super. the whole forest was embracing the harvest right there. Maybe cool. except for the deer, of course, it wasn't quite <laughs> yeah, the deer is part of the cycle. Cause it's, the deer it really is, is definitely yeah. relying on the things that the rest of the forest was doing for, for sure. it when it was living. And it's, it's yeah. future generation will continue to rely on those things. Yeah. But it, it, it was, it was great to just sort of pivot back into bird watcher mode where, the hanging carcass was now my bird feeder and I just, you know, would, 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 would sit from the cabin window having some coffee and watching the birds come in. And I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to be bird watching for a little bit. It was really a cool thing. I'm just needing to process this in my mind that the hanging carcass was my bird feeder. Yeah. Okay. I may, that may go on a quote somewhere that that's living on for, yeah. yeah. One of the things that we talked about, and I remember sort of my first couple of years of being engaging the outdoors through through a consumptive nature you know hunting fishing this thing that connects me with my food source and i remember so much of it being food source driven and then it shifting to community driven because i was starting to make connections and friendships in that space Mm -hmm. to now and this is something that we were talking about and that you alluded to earlier you know the phenology of of nature Mm -hmm. and we were visiting in the ranger the other day and talking about, you know, the phenology of a sporting person. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that look like? Yep. And I want to get kind of your thoughts because I sort of, I think introduced the idea to you and I don't know if you, we had talked about it before. I don't think we had talked about it before yesterday that I introduced the idea of like, this is what my world looks like. You know, right now I'm out and I'm fishing and I'm a fish throughout the, throughout the summer because there's no real hunting that I participate during that time of the year. But when September 1 comes, otherwise known as Texas Christmas, the dove hunt happens. Mm -hmm. And that marks the beginning of sort of the hunting cycle. You know, Mm -hmm. now I'm fishing and foraging. That marks the beginning of the hunting cycle and and that type of harvest. And after dove hunting is, you know, teal hunting, which Mm -hmm. hopefully you're going to come do with me this year. And then after that is bow season for whitetail. And then somewhere in there, if you can sneak away, you can go and shoot some grouse somewhere. But it's this this rhythm and this movement through the season and the intentionality of doing things. And I just want to well, I want to get your perspective on hearing about that yesterday. So phenology is something that I've always loved the idea of, especially, you know, when I first really heard someone expressing sort of the joy of phenology was when I was reading Sand County Almanac by Aldo Leopold for the first time. That was my inspiration, right? I read that and I was like, I kind of want to be like this guy. (laughs) Um, You know, and and one of the things I really want to do for you is introduce you to bird watching because it's a great way to fill in all of that, right? And you're talking about this non-consumptive end of things. Coming into hunting as a bird watcher and as restoration ecologist with a background in botany, it's almost like I can just fill my nature plate up all year round with whatever it is, insects, Mm -hmm. birds, plants, and Mm -hmm. I'm adding the hunting and fishing on right now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would encourage, I I, I really want to, I really want to do more bird watching with you because I think you're going to completely get it. And it's going to be one of those things when, if you don't have a pole in your hand 
or a shotgun in your hand, you know, a pair of binoculars and a bird guide is something that will give you equal amounts of joy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and of course, one of the things that we really get to experience a lot with bird watching is migration and all those cycles, which adds a whole other dimension to phenology, the, the migration of all the neotropical birds that spend their time down in Central and South America and the movement of these um, species going from, you know, Argentina up to, you know, northern Alaska, Siberia, et cetera. It is just, there's so much awe in it all. And as soon as you open your eyes and take a look and then just take a little bit of time to understand, you can access that awe. And it's like a drug, right? Just being awestruck. Um, our friend Austin Mann, who we're going to see tomorrow, just recently was in the Platte River seeing the Sandhill Cranes staging as they're oh, migrating. Cool. And it is it is North America's version of like the wildebeest kind of going over mm-hmm. Africa, where it's just like this huge migration spectacle where mm-hmm. the numbers of birds that you're seeing there and the sounds and mm-hmm. the whole sensory perception just adds to it. And that's just one spot in the calendar, mm-hmm. you know? So so it's it's great. Ha- and, I, and I think that in the hunting and fishing world, you have kind of, so a structure that builds in seasons that, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the Department of Natural Resources or Fish and Game or, or whatnot says this is the season for this. This is the season for this. Mm-hmm. And they kind of build you out. It's a starter kit for phenology with the seasons that they mark for you. Absolutely. And then you can fill in all the spaces with, you know, plants that are blooming, mushrooms that are coming up, birds that are migrating, you know, either, you know, north or south. And as someone who spends time outdoors, you can start filling all those seasons in more. And so, and some of those things, like when it comes to bird watching, I'm looking forward to helping you fill in your phenology calendar a little bit, a little bit with a little bit more texture. You know, not that it lacks, and not that you're <laughs> not not that you're finding the current situation unsatisfying, but let's just give you a little bit more. You know, it's interesting. My story and your story are you the it it's different into the spectrum because. You came to the hunting and fishing space as a as an observer of nature. Mm-hmm. On my side of the world, I recreated in nature first. So it was rock climbing, kayaking, snowboarding, skiing. Yep, you know, hiking, mountain climbing. Did, I, I, I I kind of categorize all that with like nature with a high heart rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and as someone who's an avid cross country skier and trail running and a mountain yep. biker. I still do those things, but boy, is it ever different than kind of well, some it's of the not, stuff that we're doing. It's not necessarily connected to nature at all. Which yeah. is, I mean, because when I was out doing those things, it's cool. I'm going, you know, 40 miles per hour down a hill to get on a lift to go back up a hill. I am not paying attention to any of the trees mm-hmm. species that I'm going past other than that's a that's a don't hit it. That's another don't hit it. That one over there, what do you call that? Don't hit it. (laughs) You know, Uh I mean, and then um, all of a sudden, you know, when I got into land management and I got into the idea of taking care of a ranch, this ranch, specifically the Spokala Ranch, that opened the door to, I guess I kind of was observing nature a little bit, but just micro, not like really the connectivity of nature, Mm -hmm. but like I was more... I was more getting in tune with the responsibility of land ownership. Yeah. There's a very very targeted intention. Yep. And that forced me to look at connectivity. 
Then my practical application, though, turned out to be through hunting and fishing because I'm a terrible gardener. Um, but now it has moved me into really being receptive and open to the idea of bird watching and doing these things because the reality is I'm an awful shot. So I might as well just watch anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, and plus if you open up your palette to non-game species, there's there you know, there's a lot more colors and shapes that are introduced into it in terms of just the interesting kind of, you know, way that these creatures live and exist, right? Well, yeah, it gives you the context. I mean, that's like like flora was opened up to me because of deer hunting and because of quail hunting and and because I wanted to have a deeper understanding and mm. and also a deeper respect for the species that I'm hunting in going beyond just saying, well, they make a great popper. If you throw them on the grill, <laughs> you know, you just, you just tear tear out the stuff and put a jalapeno in there and wrap it in some bacon, <laughs> throw it on the grill and you got yourself something fine. Yeah. I think in respecting the species, it's learning how and why it lives mm-hmm. and, and, and what your place and your role is before you're out killing and cooking it is to really just understand the species. Absolutely. So migrations, Austin, man, those sort of things. I think we should do this. We should, we should chat more, you know, we should should do, we should do more of this. Yeah. Um, Because the thing is, is I found, I think we high spotted four or five topics (laughs) That we could go, that we could spend an hour on each one of those. Absolutely. Just sort of visiting, but you've got to get to an airport. Speaking of Austin, man. Yeah. 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 We, we got some things, some other things going on this weekend. Yeah. And this will, this will air far after that, but I'm really excited to see El Observador. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Austin, Austin man. Or Austin Alvarado. Alvarado. I get the Austins confused. There's You've a got lot Austin, of Austin, Austin and Austin. Austin and Austin and Austin. Austin, man. Austin Alvarado. In Austin, in Texas. Austin, Texas. With... Natalie Ray and myself. So, I mean, of your Swarovski sort of ambassador. The outdoor ambassador. Crew. we got Tyler Sharp and yeah. uh, Byron Pace as well. So we've got quite the crew. How of many of us is that? Some pretty passionate folks. What's you, Natalie, Byron, Austin, Austin. And we're, we're at six out of 10 yeah. ambassadors. So wow. we've got quorum. Yeah, we do have a quorum. <laughs> look out, look out, Austin. That's we've right. got a quorum. Well, <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. <laughs>